Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, what a difference in, in snow conditions does a few weeks make. I think in my last podcast, I was talking about how I went up to an event up by Snow Basin Ski Resort, and there was not any snow on the mountains. And they were scheduled to actually open that weekend, and that weekend not much came through. But the week after that, oh, we had a lot of snow, a lot of snow. And then it's been snowing ever since. Deer Valley opened on uh, December, I think, no, fifth or sixth last week. And it was one of the best openings they've had for many, many years. So a big change. I, I got an email from Anulch Agwal. And basically he wrote me a note and said, hey, listen, I put out a rating of the top 10 sailing podcasts and you are on it. And uh, I looked at it. And he rated me as number three. Okay, top, top one he's got rated is 59 North Sailing Podcast, Think Sailing. Then Slow Boat Sailing. And then my, my podcast, Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond. And personally, I think I should be one step up, but that's my opinion. I think 59 North deserves to be the top podcast out there. He works really hard at this, and it's part of his business, Andy Shell. I'm glad to see he's rated number one. I think he deserves that spot. And if you're not listening to that podcast, you should. And you should take a look at this list of top ten podcasts. And if you're not listening to some of them, maybe you want to check them out. There's one here that I have not listened to called Sailing Alone Around the World by Joshua Slocum. And I wonder if it's just uh, reading the book. And if it is, that might be a nice way to read it. Personally, I just go to the library and check out an audiobook rather than listening to a series of, of readings of it, unless the narrator's spectacular. Let me go through the list with you just for the fun of it. 59 North is number one. Slow Boat Sailing is number two. Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond is number three. Single-Handed Sailing Podcast is number four, and I haven't listened to that one. Five is on the Wind Sailing Podcast. Now, that, uh, that sort of makes me question the, uh, uh, the validity of this list because on the wind is now 59 North was, was renamed to be on the Wind Sailing Podcast. So five and one are the same podcast. And then, at least as far as I know, and then six, Sailing Alone Around the World by Joshua Slocum. Seven Sail Loop Podcast, and I think he should be up a couple steps myself. And then number eight, Ocean Sailing Podcast. Number nine, Bonnie Boat Sailing Podcast. And even though he says it's the top ten, there's no number ten here. So I don't know. Maybe this is just a way of getting uh, traffic to his site. But his site is uh, blog.feedspot.com backslash sailing underscore podcasts. But anyway, it's still nice to be recognized as one of the top <laughs> nine podcasts. Really, in reality, the top eight podcasts because one of those podcasts is is uh, listed twice under different names. That's Andy Shell's podcast. Enough on that. So before we get on to today's episode, let me thank my sponsor, Sailrite. And I, I keep expecting them to send me a new script to read, but they haven't done it yet. But this is the same old script for my Sailrite commercial. And I and, and that we probably need to change the script a little bit, but I do what they ask me to do. This show is sponsored in part by Sailrite. Since 1969, Sailrite has been equipping self-sufficient sailors with tools, supplies, and knowledge they need to sew for their boats. This second-generation family business is also the maker of the Sailrite Ultrafeed sewing machine. The Ultrafeed is a portable, heavy-duty sewing machine that was designed to handle all your maritime sewing projects from sails to covers. At Sailrite, you'll find everything you need to take on your next do-it-yourself project, including fabric, tools, hardware, 
and even hundreds of free how-to video tutorials. Start your next project at SailRite.com. That's S-A-I-L-R-I-T-E dot com. Well, today's interview is one of the first of two interviews I do with Dan Culpepper about his last summer sail from Portugal back to Rhode Island. I like talking to Dan. He's a, he's a great storyteller. I don't have to ask many questions because he anticipates my questions and just and just uh, starts answering questions that I might have just in his narration of his experiences. So it's always nice to talk to Dan. What's going on here in Utah? Like I say, we've had a lot of snow. We are pretty much living at the ranch full-time now in the winter. It is such nice, clean, clear air with brilliant sun when it's not overcast, which is most of the time. In the Mountain West, we tend to have storms and then clear, and storms and then clear. So we may have a day of overcast when a storm comes through, and then after that, it's brilliant sky blue, wonderful, clean air up there. When it's nice up there, I'll put on the snowshoes and go for a tromp around the property. I have about a, a mile loop that I'll take. I'm trying to get some some cross-country skis up there. I actually dug out my old cross-country skis that I haven't used in 20 years. And they're the old three-pin or the three-pin bindings. And I don't have any boots, so I've got to find some boots before I can start doing some more cross-country up there. Uh, I've been mostly downhill skiing for the last 20 years, but for exercise, I couldn't ask for a better location to go do some cross-country skiing. So it's been beautiful up there. The valley is terrible. Salt Lake Valley has the nastiest air quality than I think in pretty pretty much the entire United States in the winter sometimes. It's just terrible. I drove down on Monday from Parley's Canyon coming down and I just looked at this ugly brown blanket over the entire valley and it just makes me glad I'm living up in the clean, clear mountain air right now. Have a house down here that I stay in two or three days a week, but then most of the time we're spending up at the ranch. And I bought a tractor to clear out the snow, and it's been getting a lot of use. I bought a, a Kubota tractor with a snowblower, and I've got about a quarter of a mile that I need to clear to get out to uh, the main road that goes up and down the valley. And it's been getting plenty of use. I'm glad I bought that. I just barely bought it about a month ago, and I bought it right in time for the snow, the first big snowstorm to hit. And it's nice to have a tractor to do this. If you have any thoughts or suggestions for this podcast, write me, Franz1 at medsailor.com. If you really enjoy the podcast, do me a big favor and going into the iTunes directory or whatever directory you, you use for getting your podcast and write a review. I really appreciate it. One last thing, if you want to support this podcast, become a Patreon. I don't have very many Patreons, and I would like some more. So if you want to support this podcast, become a Patreon. All right, on with Dan. I'm with Dan Culpepper. I'm on Skype with Dan Culpepper. Dan, it's been a long time since we've talked. You've had some big adventures. The last time we talked, you had left your boat. You'd gone all through the Mediterranean. You'd roller skated through the Med. You'd had some big adventures. (laughs) You, You had some family tragedies, too, and that was a really interesting podcast, but I think it's almost been a year since we've talked. Maybe not quite, but pretty close. And as I recall, the last time you left your boat was in um, Lagos, Portugal, right? That's it. Yep. The okay. boat was there for uh, for the 10 months. And um, yeah, I flew back the summer to uh, bring her back and continue my roller skating all the way across the Atlantic this time. So. <laughs> all it right. It was... Uh, so yeah. so let's go let's start there. You left it in Lagos, Portugal. When did when did you put it up and when did you get back to the boat? Well, it was at the end of uh, let me see what it would have been. Uh, probably August, end of July uh, last year, I put the boat up and uh, left it at uh, Sopromar, which is the yard in uh, in Lagos. And it, it came highly recommended by uh, Atlantic Rally for Cruisers. A lot of the the people put their boats there. And um and I left it there for 10 months, came back in June uh, of this year, 
and was able to um, you know continue from there uh, out to the Azores. But during that nine or ten months, I did have a lot of work done on the boat. I mean, little stuff that was going to be a lot less expensive uh, than in the U.S., especially on the East Coast here. So uh, things like uh, stainless steel work, they put uh, additional rails uh, on the uh, aft pulpit of my boat because I wanted to put uh, solar panels, uh, added to the solar panels, kind of like little wings on the side, uh, and I needed some support. So instead of the uh, stainless lifelines, they replaced it with, uh, with stainless rails. And they did fabulous job with that. Uh, the other work I had done, not quite so great. And, and the boat was really in horrible shape when I arrived back. So it was a little traumatic. Uh, I had about a week before I was going to leave. Um, and I got back to a boat that was a uh, pretty much a mess. Uh, they got to it all, but it was, it was not, not the greatest at the end in terms of, uh, experience, uh, repairs. And, and it did cost me fairly, uh, dearly, uh, so f- for that, uh, it was a little, little, uh, tense, uh, stressful that, that first week I got back cause, uh, I just had to kind of get everything together. I had crew arriving and, uh, you know, it, it's kind of my own fault because trying to do it this way with leaving your boat, as you know, you know, you leave your boat someplace and, uh, and then you rely on others to get a lot of work done and, and you're not necessarily the, the high priority, for them. And, uh, so, you know, it's, it's mostly my fault in terms of, uh, dealing with it and the communication back and forth was at times, times difficult, even though, uh, the, the yard spoke good English and I could communicate. It was, uh, I, I think they're not quite ready, uh, for the prime time yet, but I had, I met someone over there who had a lot of work done there who had a lot of money and they, they uh, got to it. He had a manager who, who ran the thing. So I, I was trying to do it myself uh, long distance. And so that's one of the big reasons why I, I really wanted to bring boat back home. Because uh, uh, after having it, it overseas for the past few years and doing this at different yards, I've had, uh, you know, different kind of experiences, but I, I'm more hands on. So I, I like the idea of doing a lot of work myself or at least supervising it. And uh, I felt kind of disconnected uh, with the boat. And uh, one of the reasons I, I wanted to bring it back this summer. Yeah, so. that's, that's big. My, my big complaint is I, I'm like you. I like to do a lot of my work myself. And if I don't have my workshop over there, it's really, really hard to do it. I mean, little things yeah. that are easy to do if you have a few tools, but are impossible to do if you don't have the tools. And it's Exactly. It's, and, and I had a lot of... I had a lot of tools aboard. Now, as I found out when I've been unloading it the past few weeks, and uh, it's just a, I, I've had a, a tremendous amount of tools that I never used, but it was more the time over there doing it. And then, and, and yeah, so uh, listen, it, it's good problems to have. I mean, the, my boat was in Europe for three years. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not overly <laughs> complaining about uh, woe is me in terms of the boat. But it's um, it, it, it's just something that I I didn't feel comfortable with just to kind of continue leaving the boat there. I just wanted to use it more and and uh, yeah, the reasons for bringing it back was as we've had this discussion many times before. Uh, you're in the med, you've been in the med for years and years. I, I understand the appeal, but at the at the same time, where I am in this in this life now with my my daughters and one in college, one going to be going to college, uh, they really wanted it, the summers to be kind of what they used to be, a little more uh, local, uh, flying a few thousand miles and then sailing for, you know, a couple of weeks and then flying back. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it's not as easy as, as just, uh, you know, going down to the marina, going out and sailing up to Maine or Nova Scotia, someplace along the coast. Uh, I think that'll be our future for the next couple of years while they're in school. It's just to be easier. They can bring friends along. It'll just work for our lives where they are right now. So Well, now you've got two transatlantic crossings under your belt. You know, it's a piece of cake. So next time you just hop in the boat and head on over is what will happen. You know, believe me, my daughter's uh, looking at doing a, uh, an exchange thing, a semester abroad next year. And uh, one of the places she's looking at is uh, in England. And I'm like, hmm, North Atlantic crossing. That might be kind of fun, you know. <laughs> Take the northern route. Go up through uh, Nova Scotia, Greenland, Iceland. So uh, believe me, I, I, I do have that illness. So it, uh, it, it does appeal to me to go back. You like, we'll, we'll see. And you like the long distances, too. You like the overnights. I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah, we've, we've had that talk before. Yeah, I, I really do like the, 
uh, you know, the Zen quality of being out in the ocean and that, that long period of, of, of time. I, yeah, I found it very uh, therapeutic. I, I thoroughly enjoy it. So the idea of another passage for, for a few weeks uh, is great. I do like stopping at places, and, and uh, this summer was an example of that. I mean, it, it, we didn't go straight across. We, we did stop at the Azores on the way, so, and, uh, it, which was absolutely terrific. So, uh, any other questions about uh, Lagos? Uh, well, so so it sounds to me like the your your boat just wasn't the priority of the boatyard. They probably had the stuff that needed to get done. It just didn't get done because there was no pressure on them to get it done. Is that pretty much what you would describe yeah, I, it as? I, yeah, absolutely. I think so because everything was like I'm not going to be back until June or end of June. And if you, so I think you're right. Even though I did try to. Uh, prioritize. They were different than the Italians in terms of getting the end of work done. I give them a list of ten things they actually did. It, it kind of in order, but they got they got sidetracked in, in various things. They found issues uh, on the, the engine that I didn't really mention, and they fixed it, which was fine. But uh, the communication uh, wasn't necessarily like, oh, we found the the, the elbow was a little uh, a problematic. We just replaced it. That'll be four hundred euros or something, you know, and. And I had to kind of stop them, even though I appreciated them them really looking at it carefully. And it probably did need to be replaced. There's no doubt about that. Uh, it was just the communication was a little different. Uh, it, it's uh, yeah, uh, they were very nice there, very very personable. But I but I think you're right. I, I wasn't a priority, and part of that reason was that that even though it, it's a it's a big boat, it wasn't uh, some of their customers. I think just kind of hand over the credit card and and go to it. You know. So it, it's different. The hands-on approach, and I, I'm sure you've dealt with that same thing, where um, yard, yards are in to make the money, and I don't blame them for it. Yeah, at, at yeah. All. That's, their that's, business. The, that's their business. That's their business. That's yep. their business, and, and, and it's our business to try to keep as much as we can on our side. And, and so that, that it became an issue. But, it, but again, at the end of the day, they, they straightened the problems out they had to. It was just very stressful for the week of just getting it all done in time. And again, having kind of a deadline in terms of crew arriving, etc. So, and, uh, yeah. And Lagos so, is a delightful town. Did you stay on the boat while it was, was it on the hard when you got there? I assume it was, it was on the hard. Yeah, it was on the, on the hard and I stayed on the hard for, for the few days that in the yard when I arrived and the boat was a total mess. I mean, everything in the inside was just moved around. They had done some mast work at the bottom of the mast. The wires were strewn all over the place. They hadn't buttoned up everything. It, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a fiasco the night. I couldn't get in the yard. They didn't leave my name with the, the I arrived late. I couldn't get in the yard. I had to climb over a fence. You know, it's, it, was, it was just a night watchman, you know, uh, you know, who are you? What are you doing here? And I'm like, uh, trying to explain who I am and why I'm going on this boat. And so it was, uh, it kind of wasn't handled that, that, uh, well, so that kind of started the things and you no, know, but I did stay on the boat and the boat was on the hard for maybe four days and then i moved it to the marina that's right there it's okay. a beautiful marina yeah just really to nice the uh, north uh, the north just to the north a little bit yeah yeah right right through that the pedestrian bridge mm-hmm. which which is really fun you go through this pedestrian bridge that goes over the uh, uh they open it up and you go through and all the people are looking down at you and, and then you get into the uh, marina and i stayed there probably another three days the final three days they were still getting work done from the, the marina came over and and I mean, the yard came over and fixed what they, they had to do. And, um, yeah, that's where I waited for the crew to arrive. And um, everyone everyone got there over the period of a few days. So my, so how did the crew make its connections? Where did they fly into? You know what? I'm not they, sure. They probably flew to well, Lisbon, but then uh, how did they Mattia get Mattia was my, my Italian crew who, uh-huh. who oh, I, okay. I, I, had, I hadn't met him yet. I had talked to him on the phone. I had found him on the crew search. And... Uh, and he came in from Italy, and I think he went by way of Madrid okay. or in Lisbon. He came to Lisbon, and then he okay. took a, a train down. Okay. Right. And there's a little little train station uh, in Faro that he went to. My sister, uh, Lori, who came in, she flew into Faro with my Uncle Pete. He flew into Faro also. And that's about maybe a half hour, 40 minutes away. Okay. And uh, pretty convenient, very convenient. And so, and they might have flown through, I think Laurie through through London and Pete, I think went through uh, Lisbon uh, to get to Faro. And then, then it was an easy 
easy trip for them. They got a cab. First, they stopped to get an espresso, and this is an old Nespresso machine that my sister was bringing for me. <laughs> she, she brought this Nespresso machine and found out that the pods were like half the price in Europe. So she had to stop. She stopped and got about 40 of these little pods for the espresso machine. And I, and I poo-pooed it when it arrived. I was like, oh, espresso machine. Well, that's, that's just what we need aboard the boat. Well, guess what? We used it every single day. It ended up being, I ended up uh, throwing my uh, coffee maker overboard because uh, it just wasn't doing the, doing the job. But um, yeah, the espresso machine became a big hit. So uh, yeah, then they, they arrived at the boat and and uh, we still had some work to do when we got that stuff together. But I got to tell you, I, I, the crew I had was, I, once again, I, I've really lucked out with uh, with crew. I mean, from uh, west to east, I had a fantastic crew. And from east to west, it, it, this worked out great. Of course, one was my uncle, who I've known all my life and has traveled with me extensively. We've done thousands of miles together. And my sister, Lori, who we did the, the trip last summer, the previous summer, which uh, she and I double handed it from Italy, uh, you know, around Sardinia to Spain to ending up in Morocco. We did that, that cruise. And that, that's, uh, that's when I found out during that, that sail that week that, that my mother-in-law had passed away and a lot of family drama was going on during that time. But so my sister and I made that, that thousand mile trip through the Med. Uh, getting to Morocco and the rest of the family came to Morocco. So that was the previous summer. And this summer, the plan was uh, she, she really wanted to, to finish up uh, the transatlantic. She wanted to do the, the, the whole trip. She had, she had flown over and done the Azores to, to the mainland before. And I think this time she wanted to do the rest of the trip. So I said, okay, join us in the Azores. She goes, no, no, I want to do the whole thing. So so, which was just great, absolutely fantastic. And uh, so I had my two family members, my uncle and my sister, and I added to the crew uh, for the first leg to the Azores, uh, Mattia. And uh, he's an Italian guy, maybe he's about, I think he's 28, 29 years old at the time. And he was, he was fantastic. It was perfect. It was everything you could want in a, in a crew member. He had limited sailing, but at the, uh, at the same time, he just had, as you know, I mean, it's not the sailing on these long trips. No, it's the you gotta attitude. have the right companions. That's right. It's all the right. It's having that right attitude and just being able to, I had a sense of it when I talked to him on the phone a couple of times and, you know, as you know, the, the crew search things, I had a lot of applications. A lot of people, uh, want to do this kind of stuff. And, and, and he, 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 it just stuck out that he was just enthusiastic, really enthusiastic, wanted to learn really smart guy and, uh, ended up being, a golden crew member and being Italian, uh, a couple phone calls to mama and his uncle who was a chef. He uh, made the most incredible risotto aboard. And, uh, and he kind of let that out just, you know, after we'd been cruising for about a week, he just said, Oh yeah, I could do something with the uh, risotto. And I said, yeah, that would be great. And ends up, he goes, yeah, I can do this. And <laughs> so I said, why didn't you let me know earlier? Well, I would have been in the kitchen the whole time. <laughs> yes, you would have been. So uh, anyway, he was a lot of fun. And uh, so he joined up, came into Lagos. Uh, and then we had the four of us that were going to make the, uh, the first leg, which is basically Lagos going to uh, to the Azores. Okay, so now and was Matia was he a paid crew or was he a voluntary crew member? No, no, he's volunteer. Okay. Volunteer. I haven't I haven't ever used any pay crew cuz uh, they they get themselves there and um, we ended up we ended up helping him out at the very end and I'll, I'll explain that what happened with the US uh, uh, immigration and and uh, they came aboard when we were in Newport. I'll tell the story now. Okay. When we arrived uh, in, in Newport, the uh, they came aboard and they as they do and, and customs and immigration and and they uh, and, and they went lack the a, boat. they totally lack a sense of humor too don't they uh, yeah you know we had been through there before coming in from Canada <laughs> okay. and it was always just kind of like yeah yeah they were terrific one actually uh, was having dinner in town we were getting in late after hours and he said no I'm in, I'm having having dinner in town I'll, I'll come just give me a call when you get close oh okay we were coming from okay. Nova Scotia they were terrific. This time, completely different, completely different. It was a, a, a seismic change in terms of attitude with the border, the border police and the border uh, and customs. Uh, it's just I don't know if it's the political thing that's going on, but their instructions were to basically 
go through every little thing. And so they just, uh, they, it, it was a very different experience. An American boat coming in, but I had two EU passengers. And, and as soon as they saw the passports, they said, and they had gotten their uh, visas to come in. But the visas they had gotten were cruise ship visas. Oh. And, 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 and it was a different kind of visa than a private yacht visa, even though on the website, which of course, this ended up being a big fiasco on the dock. We're sitting on the dock. We can't get off the boat. They're, they're saying, well, and so, of course, my sister and I are getting online, trying to find the web page for the, for the U.S. Border and Customs and, and going through this, and we can't find it. And the guy's saying, well, it's a, it's, you should know. You're in a private yacht. You're not in a cruise ship. Cruise ship is a different thing because it said arriving by private ship, private boat. Well, right. private boat's a cruise ship, but it's also, it's not us. We're not a cruise ship. Huh. So the cruise ships have special indemnification for that whole thing. And what you basically need is is the fee for sending them back if it's wrong. So there's a there's a, a penalty, a fine in essence. So they had the visas. The visas were wrong. The guys were they were so dismissive and and just an attitude. It was just and and they could one guy couldn't get on the boat. I mean he he weighed like you know three hundred pounds or something two fifty. He couldn't get up onto the boat. I had to kind of help him up onto the boat. I get on the dock and help him up. Of course, I got off the boat to do it, and and then they sat there, and and it was it was a terrible experience. And so, meanwhile, I have two crew members who are just now complete panic. And these are guys that they're 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 basically making ends meet. You know, they've had, they had they brought with them, you know, the one guy's couch surfing. Uh, one of the guys was doing this couch surfing website. They were trying to do it for cheap. The one guy's twenty five, the other guy's twenty eight. They're just trying to make ends meet. We arrived there. And so uh, the fine ended up being 550 per person, oh, per guy, to fill out this form. And uh, at the end of the form, and it had to be cash. So, you know, and uh, so uh, my sister and I ended up going, going to shore, and getting a cash machine, getting the money, and giving it to these. But these guys thought their trip was over. And they basically were just saying, you give us the money or, or we're going to take you to jail right now. And, and then you're going to pay for your thing. We have to call whoever we can call. We're sending you back. It really treated them like they were these were terrorists coming ashore. And it was it was just it was an awful way of of treating. There could have been an easier way, I think, how they did it. But so whatever. I mean, it's uh, along with the political situation that's happening. I can't help but think that that at some point, you know, instructions have come down that that you're going to make every immigrant that's going to come in here legal or visa or whatever. And, and having st stood in line at Kennedy Airport at the immigration coming in there, it's 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 uh, gotten longer and longer and longer, these lines and more uh, obtrusive. So um, it is what it is. So, so, they, so uh, they don't have, I mean, we can hop on a plane and fly over to Europe anytime we want. Yeah, and, we can. And, but they yeah. can't come back here? They can't come here without a, a special visa? No, without a visa. If they get off an airplane, it's different. Okay. It, it, it's because it was a private yacht. And, and I think that had had to do with, uh, for instance, if they, if they didn't have, uh, if their passport was not proper for whatever reason, uh, the cruise ships or airlines have a means of getting them back, you see? And and if a, if a private yacht arrives, I really don't have the means, unless I indemnify them or, or have a pre-bought a ticket, to get them back if they're not admitted. And huh. so I, I think that was the rationale behind how we were treated it was that that yeah yeah a cruise ship they filled out a cruise ship as a ship visa but i i think it was has it explained to us eventually and we got that from the website not from these guys because they basically were all about threatening us you know? and as a captain you've brought in an illegal you know was basically what he said to me and i'm you know, come on these guys one's an italian one one's from portugal They're, these aren't you know criminals or ones from Spain. They weren't, they weren't criminals. And, and it was, uh, it, we got into it a little bit, but we were trying to like, listen, we're talking to authorities. You're just going to, we're trying to be excessively polite, but at the same time they were just making it and, um, and t threatening him with putting him in the jail, etc. It, it was, it was ridiculous. And, uh, but I see the rationale in that we're, a, we're a ship who can't get them back. A cruise ship has the means to put them on an airplane or, leave them on the cruise ship and take them back. An airline can 
put them on a plane and bring them back. So I think that was the rationale behind another kind of visa that they needed, that they should have they should have done when they were in Europe and which they weren't able to do and which we couldn't find on the website to this day. So, so you still can't uh, find it. I was going to say, let's put that link up on the uh, post so we so other people yeah, can no, find I, it. But we, you did. we could not find it on their on their website. So yeah, if anyone is going to be coming back in or knows more information than I know about this uh, and exactly what the crew who's in Europe should apply for, yeah, I, I'd be interested to find out uh, exactly what. But I, I think it was just because we were a private vessel and we weren't able to... Uh, had the means that we ended up having to pay eleven hundred dollars for the two crew members, uh, in order to, you know, not wreck their entire stay. And listen, my my sister and I had the means to do it, and we're not not going to ruin these guys' uh, you know, whole experience. I mean, it was bad enough this was their first experience in the United States. Neither of them had been here before, and so they were so excited. I mean, incredibly excited. And of course, after three hours of this, uh, they were a little less excited, and they got excited again. But it was. It, it was not a warm welcome for what, what you think of as, uh, as uh, you know, the EU. Certainly not the, the experience I got going back to the EU. But anyway, that was that. That was probably, that was probably the, the only negative thing in terms of, uh, uh, of, of coming back into the, into the country. I mean, it was, uh, we, we had a great time when we arrived. Anyway, I got way ahead. But No, that's that was, good. Uh, I, I, so it sounds to me like if, if you're going to hire a crew, they need to actually go to a U.S. embassy and say, Hey, what the heck do I need, dude, so I can go on this private boat? And, and yeah, I think so. Not I don't know if it's it, different if, if, yeah. if we were hiring them, if we had a, if there was a contract or something, or I was hiring them, I mean, that, that we just kind of picked them up. Uh, I certainly understand the reason why they would want to know who's coming into the country. I mean, no, no question about that. I mean, but we have reciprocal relationships with all the European countries, especially right. Italy and Spain. I mean, it, it, there wasn't any question about it. It was it was a technicality. It was a real technicality um, yeah, that they but, got us on. But, but when and you, we had to go through all that. So but if a European flies uh, over on a plane, you know, they're, yeah. they're not saying, hey, how are you going to get home? They're just assuming that they, they're going to get home. They're not asking yeah. for these. Oh, oh, both of them had return tickets, by the way. Oh, geez. both of them had return tickets. I mean, but the t t return tickets were for two weeks. One was for like 11 days later. The other was for like two day, two weeks later. So. Yeah, there was never an issue about that. I mean, they could have flown home that day. I mean, that, that was basically what they threatened them with. You've come in here without the proper paperwork, blah, 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 blah. This is your choice. You pay $550, basically, you know, the flight back, or you, which is a, which is a fine, you know, not, not, not refundable, uh, or you go home today and we'll drive you straight to the airport. You know, we'll go to Boston. They threatened them with Boston. Boston's closest one when we were driving to Boston. Hmm. So... <laughs> it was, it like was a, a surreal experience, really, Franz. Yeah, but, it sounds like a bunch of thugs to me. So yeah, yeah, the two thugs, yeah. which is very different than the previous experiences I've had over the years. You know, four years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, ten years ago. Every single time I've come in from Canada, and uh, had a Canadian uh, with me that time, and um, never an issue. You know, they checked it out. But things are different. Things are different now. But mm -hmm. um, but Mattia. Joined us in the, in in Lagos and uh, yeah, so the four of us uh, Lagos to to the Azores. And that All right. Was, um, so let's talk that about that passage from Lagos to the Azores. And so yep. was the big rollers. What were the what were the winds like? Well, we got we got kind of whacked the first uh, first two days. Okay. Uh, we left, and uh, you know we checked the weather. I had I had predict wind aboard. I had a satellite. Uh, connection uh, with uh, with uh, predict wind, so I was getting a pretty good, a pretty good forecast, and obviously the local stuff because we had Wi-Fi at that point. So I was checking all the European models, all the different stuff, and it basically said we were going to get maybe 15 knots of wind, and but the wind had been blowing for for the past maybe three days before we left. Big front had been going by, so we kind of waited till. Until after went by, and we needed to get on the road. And uh, what usually happens in these things is it, you know, chunks up the sea. So I was I was ready for confused seas, but what we got was, uh, you know, where Lagos is. You can look it on Google Maps. It's right in the southwest corner of Portugal, and you go around that corner, and it's a different weather system because uh, once you get out into the ocean right there, it's a lot more exposed, a lot more open. 
And the winds were, you know, 15 knots to 20. They weren't, weren't too bad, but they really freshened up that first night. And so we were getting, you know, 25, 25 gusts in the low 30s, something like that. And, um, and, and in the algorithm, it said we were going to get, you know, 10 to 15 and one, one meter seas. And the, the seas were a lot higher than that, probably closer to 10 feet. And they were, um, and they were really chunked up and very confused. So it was an uncomfortable ride. I mean, the, the boat can handle it. We were reefed down. There was, it wasn't a, a safety issue or, or, but it was, it was a pretty thrilling ride at during the night, the boat reached 12.4 knots for, you know, now my hull speed's a little over nine. So we were, we were going down a, going down a, a wave of some sort, but, um, and, and it, it was, uh, yeah. So there was a little retching over the rail, um, going on, uh, to the, the crew members that, that didn't take the scopalamine patches and, uh, which is pretty standard aboard my boat. But I think <laughs> Mattia, he did not want to take it. And the reason why he didn't want to take it was he had a feeling he would get sick. I mean, he had never been offshore before. Uh, he had a feeling he wanted to get sick, he was going to get sick, but he want, wanted to experience it. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you, you got to give him credit. Honestly, God. I mean, it was, it, it was great. I mean, part of me was like, he's nuts. He's freaking nuts. I mean, how is he going to, you know, it, he's going to get sick. He's going to get sick. Cause you, you could just tell he was going to get sick. And, and he, uh, he, yeah, he said, yes, I, maybe I will, but, but I want to experience it. I want to experience. It. So he did. And, uh, and, and to his credit, I mean, he retched over the rail. He looked awful. He was so pale, retched over the rail, came right back to steering at the wheel. And then he go back and retch over the wheel and kept going. And, uh, and then after, yeah, after two days of that, he started feeling better and he got through it and he got through it and then he wasn't sick for the whole rest of the trip, but he, he did, he, he went through it, which is probably the right way to do it. Now, what and about the scopolamine? Gonna... Did, did those people get, did you quit taking the scopolamine after a couple of days? Does, or, or do yeah, you have to take it the full it time? It lasts for about, it lasts for about three days okay. roughly. Uh -huh. And then, and then you can put another one on if you want and you go, but for most people, uh, yeah, you, you put them on in the beginning of the trip and, and maybe one more time I'm talking for a, for a three week trip or a two week trip, something like that. If you're out in the ocean that long. And then at that point, yeah, you don't, you don't generally put the patch back on again. It, it, it seems to be pretty good for that. Maybe, maybe, you know, 10% of the time it might return for some people. Then you put the patch on again and, uh, you're not wearing it for the entire time though. You could, I mean, as far as I, I haven't had too many side effects. I, I think I told you a couple, a couple podcasts ago about, about the crew member I had who, who put a patch on, uh, and then he took the pill form of it and then he said it wasn't really working. So he added another patch to his, under his other ear and he had like triple the dosage. And on one of the watches, he, he, uh, I was watching him and he was steering at the wheel and he looked at me and said, damn, damn, there's a, there's a black cat. There's a black cat walking on your shoulder. And I said, <laughs> what? The black cat, stay right there. Stay right there. There he goes. There he goes. And he's watching what obviously wasn't there, walking around the cockpit, you know, the black cat. And, and it was hilarious. It was hilarious and totally terrifying at the same time. And so I said, you know, I think Eric, he's probably had enough. You know, let's, let's take you down. I put him in the, into the berth, said, you got to go to sleep. He was completely hallucinating, which is something that is a byproduct. I think if we took too much, but he's probably the only one that I've ever, and my dad one time too. And he probably OD'd also, uh, doing too much, but, um, but it's been pretty bulletproof for crew. It's been kind of the ma magic elixir for, for seasickness. Um, and, uh, yeah, don't, <laughs> don't uh don't take what i've uh, told you to to terrify people that are listening it it uh I, i've had dozens of crew members that have uh used used this uh little patch scopalamine a transderm uh, patch behind their ear and it and it really has uh, has been the been the thing that stopped them from getting seasick so if you ever have that issue uh forget the wristbands and the other stuff that um don't, don't necessarily work i i really think the 
the medication is probably the way to go. Anyway, but Mattia did not. Uh, he retched for a couple days and it felt much better. The first two days were were kind of uh, kind of rough. Yeah, the, the, and, but we were making great time. We did 183 miles the first day. First, uh, and then now what, what was the point the of next. sale? What was the point of sale, Dan? Was it broad reach, downwind, upwind? What was the point of sale on the first few days out? It it, it was a reach. We we were reaching pretty much. Okay, and, so you uh, had north uh, north uh, east, yes, east exactly. winds. Yes, exactly. North northeast, northeast winds. North And so okay. we were heading. Uh, it's pretty you're, much you're, the, the straight almost, across. Yeah, a uh, little bit north of east, but just a little bit. As I'm looking just, at Google Earth, just yeah. a little bit. Yeah, Lagos is around 37 degrees north and uh, and horta's about 38 where we were going to head but our first place was punta delgata which was um uh, on the big island of san san miguel that was our that was our target where we were going so yeah i think we might have gone a little south of that just to keep it a little more comfortable than just really beating into it and uh and then the winds lightened up after that uh, so the next day they were i'm looking at my my log right here they're between eight and 22 knots for for most of it and uh they got good i think by the by the third day things had mellowed out to 15 to 18 real nice uh, uh seas had calmed down and and we've discussed this before it, it it the bragging rights in in a bar is not the wind it, it's it's the sea state that really really changes whether your trip is is a is a beautiful uh sail or just hell and uh, you can be in 15 knots of, of wind and the seas are, are confused. It could be an awful ride, just terrible, beating the hell out of the boat. Uh, or you can be in 35 knots of wind and a flat, flat sea and you're just down going uh, broad reach and things are sweet. I mean, wonderful. Especially if you're going 10, the apparent wind's only you know 20 in the 20s. You're feeling really great. So having been in all those different situations, uh, yeah, the first night was confused seas and a lot of wind, and it was it was just uncomfortable. Second got better, and, and by the third, we were kind of cruising along. But we made a fast trip. Uh, I think we only spent four and a half, five days making the eight hundred miles. That's so, a good, yeah, that's a good, that's a fast passage. Yeah, that's yeah, great. we it was a fast passage. You know, it was so fast that uh, we were a day ahead. And uh, when we we were closing in on the Azores, we realized we were a little south of the rum anyway. And we'd have to turn up north to get to San Miguel. We might as well stop at Santa Maria, another island. And we had the, we had the time. Family wasn't arriving until two days later. Uh, so we ended up uh, going into the very small island, Santa Maria, which was the it's south on the uh, if you're looking on Google Maps, it's right. I'm looking it's south at right. of San Miguel. Yeah. Now, let me ask you a question. Since you had already yeah. been in, in Portugal and these are Portuguese islands, you didn't have yeah. to deal with customs, did you or did you? <laughs> No, we did. We we, and not only do we have to clear in, which was a piece of cake. It was really easy. But every time uh, you went into a marina, which is really the only places you can stay are marinas. There's very little, if if any, anger anchoring there, because of just the how the islands are. Right, they're steep islands. Yeah, they're it's, volcanic, it's deep everywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. And the marinas are terrific. I think they're they were like, you know, ten euros a day or twelve euros a day. It was very, very inexpensive. They were very small. So getting space in them was not always, you know, the Azores have become a lot more popular and, and the EU had gotten involved maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago by putting in marinas in every Island. And so, which is terrific, really, really great. And before it was basically Horta you went into right on the, on the Fayel and, and the other islands, you just have to try to risk trying to get into where the fishermen were and which were very, very tiny uh, and hard to get into. And they've they've created real real marinas in in each of the islands, uh, which is which is really, which is really great. Uh, it's 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 really I can't say enough about the Azores. It, we had just a, a fantastic time there. The very first island, the, the this uh, the Santa Maria, is the first island that was discovered, and uh, they were uninhabited when they were discovered, and they uh, and, and it's a small little island. They have a they have an air traffic control station there. And and the island is very it, it looks very well coiffed. I mean it, it's very well taken care of. The houses are beautiful. Uh, the little villages are all all very distinct and very well kept. And and we we talked to one. Of, we took a guide 
I had a guide and he showed up in a van and, and took all of us around, uh, the four of us, uh, around the Island. And, uh, it, it, it was really cool how he explained it. it families, each village is pretty much a family who've been there for hundreds of years, uh, in this, uh, in the village and each member each village kind of has a has a family member that's connected to the air traffic control. Uh, they're they're an air traffic controller, and those jobs pay like eighty or ninety thousand a year. So uh, they they're now all Azorians that that the man the thing. It, it used to be thirty forty years ago when they put the place in. There were a lot of Brits were there, but over the years, uh, you know, the smart kid in the family would be sent off to college and get a degree and come back and get this coveted job. And, and I think they use it really to, to, uh, to maintain the lifestyle of, of the Island. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. And it, it's, uh, and then they have the job for 20 years. They can only have the job for 20 years. I think it was 20 or 25 years. And then it's passed on to maybe another member of the family, but, uh, apparently it's really difficult to get the job and it's a little competition in the family. But once you do get the job, you're kind of expected to, to, to support the community. And so if the, if the, the little church in town or the houses in town need the whitewashing and, and they need to, the street needs to be fixed or anything needs to be happened, you're, you're expected to, to contribute right? mm. more than your fair share in terms of that. And, uh, it's a system that's worked. And, uh, you know, we talked to a lady on the street who, who was from the United States and, and she was from Boston area and she comes back every summer because the family's there. And then I said, well, your other relatives here. She goes, Oh yeah, my, my uncle's, this is my uncle's house. And down the street is where my mother grew up. And my, my father was in another village on the other side. And, and she just kind of went down the whole thing. It's a very, uh, it's, it's a small Island and, uh, everyone knows each other and they have this system and it, uh, seems to work. <laughs> it was very, a very pleasant time we had there. Well, I'm looking at Google Earth, and uh, mm-hmm. there's a, a really, really long runway there. It looks like it's almost nine thousand feet, maybe even longer. Yeah, that's than that. that's a U.S. that's a U.S. Air Air Force base. Okay. So, okay. Yeah, there, it's a big, big Air Force base uh, that's there, and so I, I think it just uh, the air traffic controllers uh, deal with the transatlantic flights. So when you've flown to Europe, uh, they pick up. You know, I, I'm not sure what section of the of the flight, but they pick up the mid Atlantic part of the part of the flight, and uh, and that's where it's at. And yeah, there's a U.S. military base there also. And I I don't know how big it is now. I don't think it's as big as it used to be by any means. And um, yeah, because I we did not see we took a tour of the the base. It just seemed like you know I was in the Air Force for four years, and and uh, this looked like a sort of an abandoned. Uh, it, it didn't look like it was actively used. I yeah, didn't see any military when I'm there, zooming so. in on Google Earth, there's not much of a base there, but a huge, <laughs> long runway. Huge runway. Yeah. Well, well, and also it might be for emergency flights across the Atlantic too, as a, yeah. as a place where they can they can tuck into. And it's not a bad idea. So it looked maintained. It had a tower, and it didn't look run down by any means. It looked like it was ready to use if it needed to be used. And so, uh, and anyway. Nice, really nice island. So the, yeah, so you drove place. all around the island. So the which is the main city on the island? The uh, Villa do, do Porto, the main one where yeah. you came into. That then? was it. Okay, that's where we came into right there. That's that's exactly right. That's that's where we came into and and uh, yeah, there was a little restaurant that was right near there and and uh, and that's where he picked us up and drove us around the island and and it, yeah, it seems like the island. The, the feel I had of the island. We were only there for for a day. I mean, we, we arrived in, in the morning, we spent the rest of the day and about half of the, well, the rest of the, the following day and we left the, the following night. So, uh, we arrived in the morning, we left the evening of the next day. So you pull into port, do you deal yep. with all the customs right there at the port? Was it easy then right there at the port then to deal with the yeah, customs? Yeah, it was simple. Sh- they okay. had, a, they had, um, they just had something you, you checked into the Marina okay. where, where you, you paid, you, you, you tied up and then they just did everything there. Okay. They just, they, they took all the crew passports and uh and that's pretty much it they wanted the, the crew passports in each place and uh, boat papers they just wanted my documentation they didn't want any of the insurance or any of that stuff but just the documentation the passports and each yeah and then we had a uh, did we clear out uh, no we told them we were going next yeah we had to we had to exit also each, okay. each island okay we came to yeah and then it, they basically just called up the next place and told us it told them that we were on 
uh, we were on the way, which actually was great because we could say, you know, is there room? <laughs> There's yeah. room in the inn. Uh-huh. And they uh, they could call ahead, and then the guy looked out the window and go, yeah, yeah, we got some spots. Okay. okay. We're not expecting too many boats in. So they kind of knew which boats were coming in because you sort of do a certain route through the islands. It's probably, you either go west to east or east to west. And, and like when we were in, we were approaching Horta, we had left Angra and they said, uh, there, oh yeah, there's a German boat that's coming your way. You'll probably see him. He's coming into, to Angra tonight and you're going to Horta. You could probably take their space, you know, that kind okay, of thing. Okay. So it was, uh, yeah, it's very personable. You you can tell, are they necessary on every single island? Eh, but, but they, they have a an ability to communicate amongst themselves. And that, that was, that was, it was good. It was an advantage for us. And, uh, so from yeah, Santa so, Maria, where did you go then? So then we went up to our, to our main, main port of, uh, uh, Porto Delgado. Okay. And, and so that and was pretty much due North. Was it, what was it a motor or did you sail up there? Yeah, we, we, uh, sailed, we sailed the entire time. And that was, okay. that was the thing about last summer, Franz. We sailed the entire way. We sa- sailed everywhere. Okay. We, we sailed from, from Portugal. Well, the mainland of Europe to, to, uh, the Azores. We sailed to the next Island. We sailed to the next Island and sailed to the next Island. And then from Horta back to the U S 2,400 miles, it ended up being somewhere on there. We, we did a total of 3,400 miles for the crossing. And uh, we sailed the entire way except the last night off of Nantucket. So yeah, we never, we filled up, uh, I think we used 20 gallons of fuel the entire time so and that included some generator stuff yeah i was gonna say most of that was probably generator than anything else. yeah i think all of it was generator and then and then just the last night going into nantucket because the fog came in and and the wind disappeared and and then the wind came back up it it was an interesting last night but we were kind of pretty pissed about it because we we were having you know definitely feeling really good about having sailed the entire way (laughs) and Mm -hmm. then and we had used it a couple times because when I lost, you know, so stupid stuff we, we, we can talk about as stupid things that happened across the the Atlantic. And one of them was I, I decided to fly a drone off the boat <laughs> uh, in, in the middle of the Atlantic, which seemed like such a smart idea at the time. What could possibly go wrong, Franz? You know? <laughs> I mean, I launched it from the solar panel sitting off the back of the boat, went up into the air. Oh, cool. I'm seeing great pictures. It's following along with the boat, following along with the boat. This is all great. I'm zipping around in front, zipping around the back. You know, I've, I've used it maybe three times. I'm not the best pilot when it comes to doing this thing, but I, I haven't hit anything. Everything's going along fine. It has these sensors on it that can see if I'm going to hit the ground. It's, it's okay. We're flying around, and all of a sudden, a little voice comes out of my iPad, which says, have exceeded home range, right? Which, <laughs> what the hell is that? What, what are they saying to me? Uncle goes, I don't know, but it's not moving. And the drone had stopped uh, following us and had started returning to home. And home when Which is was where, where you I started launched, out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which at this point, 15 minutes later, was miles behind us. And uh, so we were going, they were going in the opposite direction. The drone was going the opposite direction we were going. And we we're going away. I'm like, oh my God, we're flying a parachute. Uh, the, the, I'm sorry, parachute. The, the spinnaker at the time, which became a parachute as it, as it <laughs> fell onto the deck. And we made a, a, a crash jibe trying to get the, uh, the spinnaker down in terms of trying to turn around. So mm-hmm. Mattia, who has eagle eyes, I turned around. Going, I can see it. I can see it. It's right there. It's right there. I can't see it. I can't. No one else in the crew can see it. So turn it around. Of course, I'm looking at, at the iPad and it's just showing water. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> there's there there are there are absolutely uh, no things that I can see on the, on the monitor. It's going to tell me where the boat is and uh, or where the drone is in relation to the boat. So he sees a little black dot. We, we power jive the boat. The, the, the spinnaker comes down on the deck, uh, throw the halyard down. We, we gather it all up, turn the boat around, turn the engine on, trying to race back to where, where it possibly be. Matias is still pointing at it. There it is. There it is. We keep coming back. So we go back a, a mile or so, at least, and I finally see it. I can see it way up high. So we bring it, start bringing it down, and the boat's now bombing around in the, in, in the surf trying to get this thing back aboard. 
and it comes down and then the little voice goes, five percent power, five percent power. <laughs> oh my, you gotta be kidding. And so and uh, so my sister's on the bow, I'm I'm nudging the, the boat, I'm steering it, but I'm also trying to to do the control get so I, I let the thing hover basically above the water, maybe eight feet above the water, it's sub and I bring the boat to the drone as opposed to the drone to the boat. Uh-huh. And because I feel like I have more control over the boat than I do the drone. So I just let the drone kind of, kind of sit there and uh, steer the boat over towards it. And the, the, you know, the, there are waves and moving along. The sisters at the bow, I'm trying not to slice her head off with the drone. And, uh, and I, the bow thruster, I move the bow across to right in front of the drone. She reaches out and grabs it. It was incredible. Oh, great. You, was, you were able to recover it then. Okay. Yeah, we got it. We got it. It was, it was an incredible save by, by Lori. She, she reached out and, and, and grabbed it. And then she's, she's jumping up and down. She's jumping up and down. About, I got it. I got it. I got it. And uh, it was, uh, it was great. It was an exciting moment. It was ended up being a lot of fun. At, you know, it was one of the things after it was like, we were all totally adrenaline, you know, adrenaline junkies at that point. It was, uh, we got it back aboard, and then, then the drone died. It was uh, it was perfect. So <laughs> anyway, that that was uh, that was about two weeks after we started this whole whole trip. And that was out out from the Azores, I think. Yeah, that was on July fourteenth, and my blog post says "Dumb Dan Drone Drama." So <laughs> that that was my uh, yeah. What was I thinking? Yeah, it was a simple plan: launch a drone from the aft solar panels, fly around the boat, filming a, a moving held line under full spinnaker, and then retrieve said drone at the bow. What could possibly go wrong? So that was a. I found out what could possibly go wrong. Anyway, but, <laughs> so from Santa hey, Maria, without, without that, it's not an adventure, right? Yeah, exactly. So from Santa Maria up to San Miguel is about fifty-seven miles. Were you able to do that in one day without, and or did you have? Well, I'm sure you did it in one day, but. Yeah. Was it tacking? We did it overnight. We oh, did it overnight. Did, so we, you... we left, uh, we left, like, we knew it was just going to be a simple overnight. And, okay. And uh, instead of wasting a day, we, we spent the day on, on, on Santa Maria uh, just checking out the island uh, the next day. And then we left probably at, at dusk. Okay. And then we did a, a nice leisurely 60 miles overnight uh, to, uh, to Punta Delgada. And the rest of the family was coming in. So that was the, uh, my wife, my kids, my uh, my sisters, my other two sisters were flying in, uh, one with her husband, and it, it became a big gang. So we had 11 of us. My, my cousin and his uh, fiance came in. So 11 people total at this point uh, descended on, on uh, San, San Miguel. And then we rented a house. We were there. Since we had 11 people, we... Um, we rented this uh, house right on the water. It was, it was spectacular. It was fantastic. And for each person, I, I think it ended up costing each person maybe 40 or $50 a night. Hmm. And because we had, it, it was a $500 night house, which seems like a really expensive, especially in Portugal. And it was, it was palatial. It was, it was stunning right on the water at a tennis court. It was uh, a definite villa and um, it was fantastic, but you divide it amongst 10 or 11 people becomes very reasonable. And, uh, so we stayed there for, for maybe three or four days. We left the boat in the marina. And, uh, you know, the group was too big to be on the boat. Right, it, right. It just, it, it just couldn't. Uh, and, and we enjoyed the island. The island of, of San Miguel is, is, is a gas. It's fantastic. It, it's become a destination for 20, 30-somethings with, uh, you know, backpacking, hiking, had mountains and trails. We went on a... Uh, a trip down a uh, stream that goes through the, this this uh, the forest, and you're wearing wetsuits, and you're you're basically swimming and and hiking through this stream, and you you jump off of these twenty uh, foot cliffs into into uh, into the water, and uh, it was really exciting. It was uh, a very if you like that kind of thing, which I really do, uh, the hiking and the nature and, and active, active uh, vacation kind of thing. You can't pick a better place, San Miguel. And they're now doing flights. I'm sounding like an ad. They're doing, doing Delta's doing flights every day out of New York, direct flight. So, so the family made a direct flight from JFK straight to the Azores. And that has been, that's different. That was, it's the second year they've been doing it. But three years ago, when we were there last time. You had to fly to Lisbon and then Lisbon back out to, to the Azores. 
now Delta's trying this thing where they're they're doing direct flights in, and I, I think it's successful because the the flights were packed, and and uh, it, it's just a great destination. Anyone out there, uh, really, it's it's uh, it's something you should look into. It was very reasonable uh, because they. You know, obviously, it's going to get more expensive if if all of a sudden thousands of Americans are end up descending on the Azores. Prices are going to go up, but for the time being, it was uh, very reasonable. And the food there, and restaurants, et cetera, et cetera, is is really inexpensive. I mean, I don't think with eleven people we spent more than three hundred euros on dinner with eleven people. <laughs> so. It, it was, it, and that was a really fancy place. That was a really, really nice place. So for the most, most of the time you could get by with, you know, 10, 15 euros for, for dinner. And that included wine. And, and, uh, so anyway, it, it's a great place. So yeah, the family was there and descended and we basically had land, land travel and land things for, for the time, time we were there, which, uh, we spent a total of almost three weeks between the three islands uh, I mean, the crew did four islands, but the family did, did three islands. So San Miguel was great. And then from there, we loaded up about eight of us went on the boat and three, three went or yeah, maybe four went, maybe seven or however it was divided. Uh, a majority went on the boat overnight. We went from uh, San Miguel to uh, to Tercera and Tercera is kind of the round island to the west. And uh, that was an overnight and part of the next day that took us to get there. And that's got a big <laughs> Air Force base on that one. That one, too. Yeah. 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 Tercera. Yeah. Uh -huh. I, don't, I don't remember that, but that's it, it's the it's the island that we did the bull. We went to the, 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 the running of the bulls last time. And uh, and they and actually it, they did it in uh, when we were there this time also it's it's the summer they kind of do that during the summer and uh, i wasn't a big fan of it last time i just uh, uh i probably explained it in a previous podcast about my dislike of of uh, torturing large animals and uh and these obnoxious teenagers running around you know slapping them and and trying to get them to gore them which we were hoping for but it uh it, it was a uh, this one we saw, I didn't want to go to it. Uh, some of the family did. Uh, they had a bull at the harbor. And so it was right down from the boat, but some of us opted not to go. And uh, and, uh, and they were running around the, the waterfront. So all these all these dinghies were all kind of out in the water. And then the bull was running around the uh, the shore right there and, and doing the stuff. But they had, apparently they had a lot more fit and younger bulls, you know, two or three year old bulls, as opposed to the seven or eight year old bulls that I saw last time I was there, which was sort of pathetic. Uh, these bulls were kind of really scary, <laughs> really scary and uh, getting close to people. And, and, uh, and every year, a couple people die, uh, getting gored by these, these things. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not just torture the bull, the bull will do that, but it, it, it anyway, it's just something that doesn't really appeal to me, but, uh, some some people did do it. So Tercera is the big island for that. All the islands do it, but but Tercera had had the uh, festivities when we were there. Do they do it and, all the time, uh, or is it sort of you have to be there at the right time to see that? Yeah, I think it's over a whole month, uh, and and we've been there and in, in at the right time for that month. And each village hosts, or each town hosts, uh, a running of the bulls. So. Uh, and that's where a town that doesn't have much money gets an older bull and a town that has a lot of money like Angra, uh, where we were in, uh, in Tercera has a lot of money. So they got like the fresh bulls and okay. they're the ones that are dangerous and, uh, the older bulls are, are probably not. So, so it was a lot more exciting. Uh, the people said, relatives said, uh, this Angra one, this, this bull was really fit and really fast. And so, and, and so I think it takes a whole month or so for the entire island to each town to to host uh one of these things so anyway it's uh it's a cultural thing it, again it's 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 their culture so uh i respect their right to uh to have their culture no question about it um but i, I didn't feel compelled to to go see it and um so but that angro where we went into the marina that's there uh oh and 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 there there is a historical a precedent for for Angra because uh, the the name of the the town is Angra do Herosimo I think that's the, the full name mm -hmm. and basically the heroes of Angra and and why they were heroes was because 
uh, the Spanish had, had attempted to invade the town. This is hundreds of years ago. And the inhabitants, uh, as the, uh, the Spanish uh, the troops came ashore, the inhabitants uh, collected all the bulls they had up on the top of the hill and, store, and stampeded them down into the uh, Spanish troops. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a little precedent for, for why they do the running of the bulls. And okay, so okay. That, that's, a, that's a paying back. And so the town was named by the king of Portugal, uh, renamed the town for the, the heroes of, of the town. So they've kept that since then. Uh, so they're, you know, historical precedent for bulls and bulls running through streets. And uh, Okay, we're going to end this podcast right here, but uh, we're going to continue talking and we're going to release this one in the next podcast episode. We've been going on for about no, almost an hour now. So let's, uh, yeah, it's amazing, huh? Okay. <laughs> Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.